I am so honored and grateful for the opportunity to be here with all of you today. And I am incredibly thankful to you, the Truett community, faculty, staff, and students for the many ways in which you have helped to shape and form me over the past few years. And I know that you are praying with me right now, and I really appreciate that. And I would also like to thank staff and friends from Calvary Baptist Church for being here. You all truly are the family of God for me in this place, and your presence means so, so much to me. Let's pray. God, I pray that during our time together today, that you would open our eyes, that we might see what you want us to see. Open our ears, that we might hear what you want us to hear. And God, open our lives, that we may be the people who you are calling us to be. Amen. On the 15th of May, in the jungle of Newell, in the heat of the day, in the cool of the pool, he was splashing, enjoying the jungle's great joys, when Horton the elephant heard a small noise. So Horton stopped splashing. He looked toward the sound. That's funny, he thought. There's no one around. Then he heard it again, just a very faint yelp as if some tiny person were calling for help. I'll help you, said Horton, but who are you, where? He looked and he looked, he could see nothing there, but a small speck of dust blowing past through the air. I say, murmured Horton, I've never heard tell of a small speck of dust that is able to yell. So you know what I think? Why, I think that there must be someone on top of that small speck of dust. Some sort of creature of very small size, too small to be seen by an elephant's eyes. Some poor little person who's shaking in fear that he'll blow in the pool. He'll have no way to steer. I'll just have to help him. Because after all, a person's a person, no matter how small. In this timeless classic by Dr. Seuss, Horton Hears the Who, Horton the Elephant is conducting his daily business. He's splashing away in the pool when all of a sudden he hears something that is out of the ordinary. In fact, if he hadn't been paying attention, he may not have even noticed it. But Horton's curiosity leads him to hear this very faint yelp. He says, as if some tiny person is calling for help. But how can that be, he thinks to himself. I've never heard tell of a small speck of dust that is able to yell. But as Horton takes a closer look, he discovers that this is much, much more than a small speck of dust. In fact, on top of that small speck of dust is a tiny world of who's who are calling out for his help. Now, our text for today, Exodus 3, 1 through 10, is a story that actually begins in a very similar way. And I know I'm comparing Exodus to Dr. Seuss, but hear me out on this. So Moses, too, is conducting his daily business as he tends to the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And Moses is leading this flock through the desert when all of a sudden he sees something completely out of the ordinary. 
In fact, if he hadn't been paying attention, he may not have even noticed it. The text says that he goes over to see this strange sight as if it were not directly along his path. And Moses' curiosity leads him to approach this burning bush in the wilderness. But how can that be, Moses thought to himself. I've never heard of a bush that is on fire but does not burn up. But as Moses takes a closer look, he discovers that this is much, much more than a burning bush. And as he comes even closer, God calls to him from within that bush. Moses is completely overwhelmed by God's holiness, so much that he hides his face, afraid to even look at God. This burning bush that he may not have even noticed has now become a direct revelation from the Lord. And then the Lord begins to tell him about a people, Moses' people in Egypt, who are crying out for his help. God says, now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses demonstrated what I would like to call holy curiosity as he turned aside from his daily routine in wonder of this burning bush in the wilderness. It's often said that curiosity killed the cat, but perhaps in this situation, curiosity led Moses to experience a divine call. In fact, if we look back, we can see traces of holy curiosity all throughout the narrative. You see, as a result of holy curiosity, someone notices a situation that is just out of the ordinary and then is compelled to respond. This isn't curiosity for curiosity's sake, but this is curiosity that leads to action on behalf of others. For instance, Pharaoh's daughter is going to the Nile to bathe when she notices something out of the ordinary. The small little basket floating down the banks of the river. Perhaps it was holy curiosity that led her to take a closer look, to open it up and to see what was inside. And when she saw this tiny Hebrew baby boy, she knew that she would have Moses cared for so that he would survive. Or when Moses had grown up and he was watching as the Hebrew people labored away under the harsh rule of the Egyptians, perhaps it was holy curiosity that led Moses to notice something disturbing, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. So Moses decided to intervene, saving the Hebrew but killing the Egyptian. Or the time when Moses fled to Midian and he was sitting by the well one day when this group of seven girls comes to draw water for their father's flock. Perhaps it was holy curiosity that led him to notice when a group of shepherds began to chase the girls away. So Moses came to their rescue and proceeded to help them water the flock. Little did he know that one of these women would become his wife. But if you've taken Dr. Nan, we shouldn't be surprised at all that a woman at the well would become his wife, right? And so we see the same holy curiosity as Moses approaches the burning bush and soon has this divine encounter with the Lord. 
an encounter which will soon lead Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. But as the Lord begins his conversation with Moses, we soon discover that the Lord is the ultimate example of holy curiosity. Because it is the Lord who says to Moses, I have seen the misery of my people, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. God has the ultimate holy curiosity when God takes notice of his people. How appropriate Hagar was earlier when she named God the God who sees me. Indeed, such seeing, knowing, and acting on behalf of others is part of the very identity of God. It's part of the identity of the characters in this narrative. But is it part of our identity today? What would it look like for us as ministers to develop a holy curiosity? Do we see people, situations, and injustices as God sees them, or do we even notice that they are there? In a college psychology class, I learned about an experiment conducted in the 1970s called the Good Samaritan Experiment. Now, the name caught my attention, as did the participants in the study, because they were all seminary students. So the experimenters, Darley and Batson, recruited this group of seminary students, asking them to participate in a study on religious education. And these students each completed surveys about their religion in a classroom at the seminary. But then they were asked to go to a nearby building to give a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Now what the seminary students didn't know was that a man who was part of the experiment was positioned in an alleyway between the seminary and the building where they were to give this sermon. This man was slumped on the ground. He moaned as if he were in pain and coughed twice as each seminarian walked by. Now what the seminary students also didn't know was that this study had nothing to do with religious education or their ability to preach a sermon. In fact, this was a study to see if they could live like the Good Samaritan. This was a study looking at helping behavior. Now, the variable was that different seminarians were given different amounts of time to get from their seminary to the building to give their sermon. Some were in a hurry, and some were not. Overall, only 40 seminarians, 40%, sorry, of the seminarians offered any type of help. So that means that 60% of the seminary students either didn't notice that the man was there or noticed and didn't really seem to care. Of those who were in a hurry, only 10% stopped to ask if the man needed any help. Now, I'd like to think, obviously, this survey wasn't conducted here at Truett Seminary. But would we really have responded much differently? The reality is that like the students in this experiment, we are all busy students who are always on our way somewhere, to class, to church, to a meeting, to study. We're studying full-time, struggling to figure out how we're going to finish all these final papers before the end of the semester, working full-time, taking care of families, serving in church ministries, spiritual life, chaplaincies. We have so much going on 
But sometimes I'm afraid we neglect to make space for holy curiosity in our lives. But imagine what would have happened if Pharaoh's daughter had been so preoccupied that she didn't notice that basket floating down the river. Or what would have happened if Moses had been so distracted by his sheep that he didn't notice the strange sight of the burning bush in the distance? If we are so busy that we don't even notice the situation surrounding us, I question whether we can genuinely discern and respond to God's call. For instance, it's like some Sundays I have at church when I walk into the building and am completely bombarded. Gail has run out of apple juice in the preschool kitchen. There's a leak in the children's hallway and the floor is soaking wet. A Sunday school teacher called for a sub at the last minute, and I'm frantically running around the church looking for a replacement. But I also need to be in the sanctuary talking with the person who's going to do the children's message. And I need to be at the welcome desk greeting families as they walk in. So when I pass a person who really needs me to notice them, I say, hi, how are you doing? And then I run on past because I just found out that an anxious third grader threw up all over the Sunday school room floor and somebody needs to clean it up. So I'm a frantic mess. I don't know about you all, but that's not the type of pastor I want to be. The church is hungry for a pastor with holy curiosity. A pastor who will genuinely take notice of his or her people. A pastor who will see beyond the surface level. And a pastor who will purposefully respond in meaningful ways in their lives. Now I know that sometimes situations are just outside of our control. Roofs will leak, volunteers won't show up, kids will puke. Some Sundays will be hectic and crazy, that's to be expected. But I never want to become so distracted by minor situations that I neglect to see and to truly know the people I serve and to minister to them in the way that God is calling me. Some of the most effective ministers I know, some of the most pastoral lay people I know, are those who minister out of holy curiosity. They have this intuition to notice situations that are out of the ordinary, to see beyond what's really there, and to discern how they should respond. For instance, they notice when Mrs. Robinson and her boys haven't been at church in a few weeks, which is totally out of the ordinary. Holy curiosity leads them to call Miss Robinson to see how she's doing, only to find out that her husband is in jail, her house was recently broken into, the boys' shoes and toys were all stolen, and to top it all off, she just lost her job. Mrs. Robinson has completely lost all hope. Or in the frustration of having a fifth grade boy at church yell at them in the face, or hide under the table and refuse to get up when he gets in trouble, Holy curiosity helps them to see beyond the situation. And they understand that there must be something else going on in his life that is causing him to act out. And they follow up to find out when this little boy gets home at night, his caregiver constantly yells at him. And every day tells him that no one loves him and that no one wants him. They notice that it's completely out of the ordinary For the couple who's recently been coming back to church to sit on that very back row of the sanctuary, because that's just not like them. 
But holy curiosity helps them to see beyond the situation. They can discern that this couple has just been burnt in church conflict. And perhaps the back row is as far as they can get into the church building right now. And they know that this couple desperately needs our love and encouragement. Or they notice when that third grade boy disappears from Sunday school and know that he's probably in the kindergarten room wearing a firefighter hat, running in circles, chasing an imaginary fire. And holy curiosity has led them to discover that maybe that's okay because this boy has had to grow up way too fast. And church is a place of freedom for him where he can run around in an imaginary world and be a child. It is my prayer that we would seek to be ministers who see beyond the surface level. That we would dare to be ministers who see and truly know our people. But that requires of us to turn aside, to notice that which is out of the ordinary, and to respond. Now, I recognize that following God's call is never easy. For Moses, delivering the Israelites meant that he would face one challenge after another. Confronting Pharaoh, escaping all of Pharaoh's armies, parting the Red Sea leading the Israelites through the wilderness, enduring times with no food, no water, lots of complaining people, and no hope. Delivering the Ten Commandments to his people only to find out that they were worshiping idols instead of God. There must have been times that following God's call led to fear, frustration, and complete uncertainty for Moses. And there will be those same times for us as well. Walking alongside people can be a beautiful thing, but it can also be messy, painful, and confusing. There will rarely be easy answers or simple solutions. What do we say to the mother who has lost her job, has no income, two kids to feed, bills to pay, and no hope? How do we lead the church when there is conflict, when feelings are hurt, people have been wounded, and some how they look to us for an answer? How do we react to that child or youth who misbehaves week after week? How do we respond in a way that teaches them right from wrong while also pointing them to God's mercy and grace and love for them? There just aren't easy answers. But we must cling to what God said to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses said, Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The Lord responded, I will be with you. You see, God didn't call Moses to a task that he had to complete on his own. In fact, that would have been completely missing the point. It was God who said, I have come down to rescue the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. God wasn't calling Moses to take over his mission. God was calling Moses to notice and to participate in what had been and would always be a mission that belonged to God. And the same is true for us today. As we partner with God, he calls us to be a people of holy curiosity. A people who will see the world through God's eyes, who will seek to touch the world with God's hands. Friends, this won't be easy, but my hope rests 
and God's assurance to Moses that God will always be with us, even during times in the wilderness when we least expect it. You know, when Horton finally rescued those who's, he found them in a horrible state. My friends, cried the elephant, tell me, do tell. Are you safe? Are you sound? Are you whole? Are you well? From down on the speck came the voice of the mayor. We've really had trouble, much more than our share. When that black bottom birdie let go and we dropped, we landed so hard that our clocks have all stopped. Our teapots are broken, our rocking chair smashed, and our bicycle tires blew up when we crashed. So Horton, please, cried the voice of the mayors, will you stick by us who's when we're making repairs? Of course, Horton answered. Of course I will stick. I'll stick by you small folks through thin and through thick. From sun in the summer, from rain when it's fallish, I'll always stand by you, no matter how smallish. May holy curiosity lead us to turn aside and to see beyond the surface level, to see people and situations as God sees them, May our minds and hearts be open to understanding the needs of those around us. And may we be willing to respond and to act on behalf of others, knowing that just as God sees and knows all the hurts and pains of the world, God sees and knows us too. And God is always with us.